0: All right, teaching others also. First Samuel chapter one. First Samuel chapter one. Uh, This morning we did a introduction to it, and you'll find that for the most part, I'm not going to go over ground again. And here's kind of the thought behind it: is if someone's really interested, they'll go back and they'll find it, and they're looking for it. Or if it's you know a real blessing to them. And also, through the years, I've received several inquiries asking me if I had any intention of doing, say, an online Bible Institute or that kind of curriculum because that's what I did for years and years is teaching and training believers. But uh, I haven't really set out to do that. However, I do believe that I'm supposed to put some stuff out here that if someone is interested, they can start doing that. And through all the different things we've posted in series. We've done a lot that we would do in a Bible Institute type environment. So I'm going to te- treat First Samuel that way. I won't be just doing a purely devotional uh, thing. We won't get exhausting with it because it's exhaustive because it gets exhausting. But we'll go through this book and we'll treat it like we're doing that. Uh, and the idea is laying a foundation. Now, I don't know about you. I have I do not get tired of reading the Bible. I don't get tired of reading it. Some parts are a little more tedious to read than others. They're not as interesting. The narrative might not flow. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean I'm not interested in it. it doesn't mean I don't want to do it. it. There's just, look, I would imagine in the last 24 hours, unless it's an unusual situation, most of you have eaten, most of you have drinking water, or some beverage like coffee or whatever, iced tea or lemonade or whatever it is, whatever part of the world you're in, it's the same way with the Word of God. But for me, it's even more because we are bombarded even accidentally by information, so-called news, and all that sort of stuff. So when we're reading these books of the Bible, for me, what it does is it Pulls my heart and mind right back into what is real. Now, you may think that what's going on in your life today is what's real. Now, it's what's happening; it's what's three-dimensional, but it's not what's real. Let me let me let me clarify it. Real is something that's going to be lasting. Real is something that God said this is important. So it doesn't matter whether you're you know butcher, baker, candlestick maker. To put food on the table as I say earn a crust it doesn't matter what that is male or female it doesn't matter if you're you know a young person a high schooler you know a teenager a student whatever none of that is what we're supposed to live by and we really can't live by all this other stuff now here is the thing that creates the illusion okay the illusion is that people who spend all their time on news Or politics or sports or reporting or commentating or studying and writing and all the different stuff making money Uh, let's go the other way hobbies who have time to spend all their time on hobbies that those people are experiencing reality but they're not because if your life is but a vapor and it is it appears the wild vanishes away that's how fast what's here will go away it'll literally seem like if you put the kettle on the stove and let it boil or you put a pot of water on to boil and that steam comes out as fast as that vapor that steam can come up and disappear that's how fast this life disappears it doesn't matter if you live to be 100 and many 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 of us won't live to be 100 many haven't my little brother lived 15 years so let me just say that to you so we come in to this book studying it as part of the words of god that we're to live by. And so for a child of God, here's what's amazing. God said, I'm going to give you something that is so amazing that when you read it every day, when you meditate on it day and night, Psalm 1, when you think about it throughout the day, it's going to feed your soul and your spirit and even affect your body to some degree. And that's why we do this. So, First Samuel, we're going to approach it, like I said, with this introductory remark, and it says in verse 1, now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. Now, to you, some of these names don't matter, and by the way, there's, i, I throw this in there, it's a blessing if you get you a. Copy of your King James Bible. It's called self-pronouncing when it comes to the names. It'll have, uh, marks in there, accent marks. And it's really neat because if you, uh, look at this Ramatheum Zophum, it has Rama in it. And later on in this book, you'll find out that it's, that's what some places just shorten it to Rama. Okay. Uh, you take places here in the states like New Orleans, Louisiana, they call it NOLA. There's all kinds of places that have different names for the same place. Same way in your Bible. So this person, and, and let me say this, that when you are studying this, we're about to come up to a time when God's doing something different to reveal himself to his people. You cannot, you must not, demand of God that he be a uniformitarian because he's not a uniformitarian. Okay, so what do you mean? Just like Simon Peter said in 2 Peter, things do not continue continually, consistently as they were from the beginning. God reveals himself in different ways. God sent a, a, the judgment upon the entire earth in Genesis 6-9, to and all kind of stuff has happened. And so when we do this, we begin to get into a place where you've got God prophets and all that, and From from Moses, which is the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which is Joshua, Judges, Ruth, from Moses to Samuel, there's only a couple mentions of prophets. And we take this fellow that's going to be born here and named and everything Samuel, and God required that both Saul and David be anointed by him because God intended people to be ruled, okay? And so... The reason it's called 1st and 2nd Samuel is that the events of these two books fall under the jurisdiction of Samuel. It's funny how your Bible has some, your, your, your AV has titles all its own. God put them in there. Now there's different ideas about how long the book covers. Some say about 115 years. Some say 140. Uh, you're good. You're safe in there. Usher's chronology says 115, and that this is approximately 1100 BC, give or take 50 years, say. So when we're doing this, your Old Testament history is closer to us chronologically than some people realize. If you have a sheet of paper, you draw on there, on the left side, you draw Genesis, and especially Genesis chapter 3, which is where they leave the garden, and Genesis 3 to Matthew 1 is approximately 4,000 years. Okay? However, the book of Genesis alone covers approximately 24 to 2600 years. That's significant that that one book, and that's why it's such a book beginnings, and we've done a lot in the book of Genesis, and uh, as God leads, we'll do something, you know, more in it if that's what he wants. But keep in mind that the time between the end of the book of Genesis okay, and the beginning of the account of Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth is not all that long. So we're about 1,100 and you could just easily say 1,200 years before Christ. That's not very long. Now, it might seem long to you. It might seem long to us here, for example, in the United States of America and other countries that are only a couple hundred years old. A country that's 200 years old is kind of a baby country in scope of the earth. And I know we don't want to believe that, the average American, but it is. We're a baby country. We're very young to this world. Uh, When you travel through Europe, it's been my lot in life to go through Europe and go to those places, uh, go all the way over into Ukraine, even as you progress through those countries, let's let's say from all the way from England, then in across the uh, Channel, and then you get to say, then you go down to Germany and Austria and Hungary and Romania and Ukraine. When you go across there, life's been going on there for a lot longer than it has here, and it's very difficult sometimes for people who are centered on this to think of that. I read this once and I checked it out as I traveled. It fellow said when you go and find a map of the world produced in certain countries certain parts of the world you'll find that the center of that map is almost always where that part of the earth is and that's the truth Uh, for us here in america people think the united states of america is the center of the world but it's not as far as god's concerned we know that the middle east is the center of where everything started according to god now i said all that to say that the lord writes stuff in here that may not mean as much to us, but it does have some significance. As we go through this book, you're going to see that Samuel is kind of like the prophet uh, in John the Baptist, for example, the voice. You're going to see that King Saul is a type of the Antichrist. Just mark that down. David is a type of Christ and a man of God. So when we come down through here and we're looking at this this Ephrathite this man from there of Mount Ephraim verse 1 Mount Ephraim is in is in central palestine okay what's called central palestine he's an ephrathite from bethlehem judah so samuel's family are of the tribe of levi now there's not a direct mention of it because a truth that we should learn here is that his authority with God at this time in history was his calling. His authority was not the family tree. So in verse two he had two wives, the name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina, and Penina had no children, but and, and, and Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. You know, people for years and years have discussed this issue in the Old Testament about the uh, multiple wives thing. It doesn't really matter what they did in the Old Testament because the Lord Jesus Christ said it straight. The Apostle Paul said it straight. However, please do take note that this thing is a controversy in many, many, many parts of the world today. Okay? One fellow said that when Jesus said no man can serve two masters, that absolutely throws out having more than one wife. You can only serve one master. And someone might say that tongue-in-cheek. Well, you can't love to the ultimate equally. Every single example you have in your Bible is that when someone had, say, two wives, for example, they love one more than the other. Uh, When someone had two or more children, sons, for example, or daughters, plural, They loved one more than the other. God said, I love them that love me. So God loves some people more than others. He loved Jacob. He hated Esau. So this is a situation almost set up for heartache. They're kind of living like the time of judges. It may possibly mark Elkanah as, you know, as being well off enough to do it. But it wasn't Elkanah's fault that they had no children. And The idea is that it it is clear that Hannah needs God to open her womb. Now think about your Bible for a minute. In the days of Abraham, he had Sarai's wife, and God said, I'm going to give you a child, I'm going to give you a son. I'll give you a son, and they had none. (laughs) And as time went on, they never had one for the longest time. So, Sarai hatches a plan that he would take her handmaiden, and she legally offers him. And the Bible doesn't say he had an affair with her or nothing. It just says that, and it says that she gave him to be his wife. The Bible calls her his wife. Well, she conceives. So now, what wasn't clear or known before is now known that the one who can't reproduce right now as she is, is Sarai. And that makes Hagar feel superior, etc. She bore a child with the master, etc. But here, Hannah knows that she needs God to do something because Elkanah is not the problem. And the reason that's important is this begins to influence her. And this man, verse 3, went up out of his city yearly to worship. And by the way, Isn't it amazing if you just take the Bible, your old authorized version of the way it's written? Now, I know, I know somebody might, I doubt anybody who tunes in gets too chafed at me mentioning the King James Bible because they wouldn't tune in more than once. But let me say this to you. If you'll just look at the text side by side, many of them, I've got a big old hardback parallel Bible, you know, that. I'll look up and I'll, I'll go, well, what are people thinking when they read this? And I read, I'm like, it doesn't say anything like this passage. I've had people who were literally grounded and reared up on an NIV and we would sit down and I'd say, you know, what about this verse? And I'd read the verse and they'd say, that doesn't say that. And they'd read their verse. You say, well, how come you know? Well, all you gotta do is do some comparison and you'll find out what kind of things are being omitted. So in this case, knowing Abraham's situation and how it progressed, and what was demonstrated, and that Sarai needed the hand of God, then we come to this, and we know Hannah needs the hand of God. This man went up out of his city yearly to worship, and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And that does point out, okay, that they're going up, and they're usually, I mean, look, he said going without the camp, Hebrews 13, 13, let us go without. You've got to go out to go. We are here in uh, September, 2022. Uh, we've not really post pandemic, but post extreme conditions pandemic at this point. And people have gotten out of the hap- habit of getting up and going out. Now I'll say this to you. I said this to a brother the other day. He was talking about somebody, you know, they they were trying to find the right place. They went to this church and and it's not. It's The truth is not being preached there and stuff. And I said, yes, but. Before you tell somebody, don't be going there, pray about being able to direct them somewhere where they can get fed. And it would be good for us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that way. So it appears that Alcana is consistent and faithful in his worship at the least. And here it says, this: he went up uh, to sacrifice under the Lord of hosts. First time it's used in your Bible. In Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now, this fella he's a good guy because a good man. In verse 4, he's going to give him offerings to take and all this stuff to do. Just keep in the back of your mind, Hophni and Phinehas, these are bad actors. These are people who corrupted and perverted the priesthood. And their dad was Eli, the head priest. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. So now she's got plural children, portions. Now watch. But to Hannah, he gave a worthy portion for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. It is possible. It's a consideration. As you, if you remember from last time, not a conjecture at all. Not an absolute clear teaching. It's a consideration that he would have married Hannah first and they couldn't have children. And so then he went ahead and he took a second wife and she did bearing children. And so it says the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, in these previous verses, we were talking about the evidence to them. See, it wasn't like they had a stamp that said that. It wasn't like they had a vision. It was a process of elimination of information. So he gave her a worthy portion for he loved her, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Okay, so keep this in mind as we're going through here. Verse six, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, obviously, one adversary would be the devil. If you don't believe he's active, that's between you and God and him. But you sure ain't been looking around very much. I didn't tell you to blame him for what your flesh is doing. You have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the the devil but he tries to provoke and the bible calls him our adversary Paul Peter says your adversary the devil goeth about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour <laughs> and he wants to provoke us over things that God has obviously done later when you get to the book of job in the book of job of kurd farther back in the history of mankind over during the times not too long past the flood In the days of Genesis, he wants to provoke us with what God is allowing or doing. Our victory as Christians is in casting all our care on him. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. We're going to see an example of how Hannah takes God at his word and and she does this. Okay. Now, here's what I want to say this. It's possible that her adversary is also Penina. Peninnah could have been really rubbing it in every chance she got, that she's fruitful, that she's got her kids, and knowing that Hannah wants to bear fruit for her husband. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord hath shut up her womb. Now hold your place there and go to Philippians chapter 4 just for a minute. And let's uh, let's look at this while we have a few minutes in this session. (coughs) Excuse me. And let's... Put ourselves in the mindset of this verse and then watch how God demonstrates it for us. I don't know how far we'll get if we'll get to the punchline of it in this session, but I'm going to try. Philippians chapter four. Let's pick it up in verse six. Be careful. These are, By the way, these are verses to memorize. I can't tell you how many times I've been able to just quote these verses from my heart and it helped my mind. In the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, in the middle of anything. Be careful for nothing. Now watch. He didn't say be careless. He didn't say be Pollyanna. He said be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now I hear people quote, encourage people, send people notes of Philippians 4, 7 all the time. The two verses, the two statements go together. And we're going to see how God does this in this woman's life. And verse 7, as he did so year by year. You know, one of the things that is amazing to me is how we view time in contrast to how God views time. <laughs> You've heard me say, the, the old preacher said, and an old timer said years ago, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? And Corey Ten Boom said, God has plans, not problems. There is no panic in heaven. And we have to remind ourselves of these things scripturally. He did it year by year. Listen, this has gone on long enough that Penina has sons and daughters, plural. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. So you've got Penina provoking Hannah. So she provoked her. So it's a he, the devil. It's a she, a human being on earth. Amen. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Much real biblical fasting is spontaneous. You know, people really do. Now listen, they really do forget to eat when they're really burdened. And they don't feel like eating. You got, if you've ever had some real trauma, trials, disasters in life, you, you're so internally stirred up, upset, grieved, you don't, you don't even think about eating. You don't even want to. Then said to her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Now, I'm being kind towards Elkanah, but she could have turned to him and said, of course not. Dummy. Yes, you're a wonderful husband. Yes, you're a blessing. Yes, I'm thankful for you. But that's not the same as being able to bear a son for you, especially while I'm watching sons and daughters of Penina run around. Now, a barren womb then is is a grief to the barren one. (coughs) A husbandman is not fruit sons are. Sons are desired in every normal, reasonable culture. There are even, they're, there's usually more females born, uh, percentage wise, in different cultures. So you see, <clears throat> she's so grieved, okay? You know, our current generation, they want the power to conceive and reproduce, but they want to Negated if they've misused that power. One fellow said, Men are often beaten with rods of their own making. So, El Cana got him what he wanted. He's got children and pass on stuff too, but the, the woman he loves is she's heartbroken. You know, sorrow upon our own part, I guess you could say it's almost sinful or it's inordinate if it divides or diverts us from our duty to God and our trust in him, or if it causes unthankfulness. But Hannah had made this an issue between her and God. So when you've got a situation, discern the difference between you making an issue with people who can do nothing. Do you remember what, what uh, Rachel said to jo- to Jacob? Give me children or else I die. And he said, am I God? I can't do that, Rachel. The others, Leah, both handmaidens, they'd borne children by him. He's like, I I would if I could. But here's a great example where Hannah didn't. She was sorrowful in heart. Uh, Hannah rose up, verse 9, after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest, now watch. Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. Now mark this down. What's happening here is is already having to keep an eye on the house of God, as we're going to find out later. Okay. We're going to find out here in a couple pages that these boys, Eli and Hophnius are doing some wicked things at the tabernacle. So, Eli's having to keep an eye on stuff. And so he's there doing the best he can at the time. Although the very best he could, I'm going to say this ahead of time. People are always running down Eli, how his boys came out and he let them stay there in the priesthood. Well, then God took Samuel as a child and put him under the tutelage of Eli. So while there is a fault on Eli's part for not just putting his boys out of the priesthood, out of the ministry, He must have understood and known God because God put Samuel under Eli. And look how Samuel came out. Just keep that in mind as we go forward. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So we take our disappointments, we take our bitterness to God. You you need to pray through that. The best way to handle it is is to just pour out your heart to God. There's something about prayers mingled with tears that just touches the heart of God. But remember, it was year by year. So she'd been going through this. In verse 11, now watch. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, there shall no razor." come upon his head like the vow of a Nazarite. now when you vow be sure to do it vows do show how badly we want something some of people are just they make vows so quickly though they don't think them through this particular vow has different connections with the second advent prophetically okay and it is very wise to give your children each and every one of them as their (laughs) being carried give them to god before they are born before you get attached to them it was better for her to bear this man child and bear fruit and be without than not to bear get this and she was going to do the bible thing the ultimate bible thing by giving the firstborn the first fruit to god you find that thing in number six about not cutting his hair, the Nazarite vow, etc. Okay, what is the lesson? The lesson is consecration. We're going to stop there. Come on, make one more comment. We're going to make a mark at verse 11 because the next passage has a little bit of length to it, but it is an amazing passage and we'll come back and tie it to Philippians chapter four. Father, we pray take these words and use them. Thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.